all four of you for that wonderful song. Wasn't that a blessing? I've enjoyed the music this morning. It lifts my soul, and that's what music should do, is lift our attention to the Lord. It should praise Him. It should give thanks unto Him. And uh, I just really have thoroughly enjoyed uh, the, the, the music this morning. And so may God have brought us into His presence and uh, helping us now to uh, turn our eyes to the Word of God. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew. I'm looking for the little clicker, and I know it's there it is. Let's see how well it works before you run off, Mr. Uh, Josh. There. Hey, it works. You know, every morning when you get up, you wonder if you work. Isn't that right? <laughs> it's been a long time since I've preached. In fact, uh, not often am I out of the pulpit for three uh, Sundays in that uh, extended period of time. Yeah, but God has uh, just uh, been uh, giving us wonderful services and the revival services. And truly, as the ladies just sang and uh, Diane played this morning, it's, it's, it is our desire that as we leave today that we have been refreshed by the Word of God and that it has helped us and has spoken to our hearts and what He would have us uh, to learn. I am reminded that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And that in my preaching or in anybody's preaching or teaching, if God's Spirit doesn't work, then we're not going to go anywhere or do anything. It's God's Spirit and through His Word that brings us to what He would have for us. And so why don't we just pause for a moment and ask that God would, as we have sung about the Spirit this morning, it's interesting, the various songs that we sang, that one new song, I'd never heard it before. I'm glad it was a simple melody, easy to learn this morning, even for those that uh, maybe don't have a lot of music background. But uh, we, can, we can thank Him for God giving us His Spirit who will guide us in truth and show us things to come. So let's ask that His Word will be very powerful in our hearts this morning. Father, I thank you for this day as we get, come back to the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning as we talk about prayer, that, Lord, that you will help us in, in every aspect of our, our time together, that you will, will do a mighty work in our hearts. And, Lord, it is truly my prayer that we'll be able to see what you'd have for us. Speak to our hearts, Lord. I'm just a vessel up here, uh, just an old dirt pot. But your word is powerful, and your spirit is what does the work. And so I pray that, Lord, that you'll do a mighty work this day, anointing upon both the speaker and the listeners as we come together to, to honor you through the words preaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Well, you're in, in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, let me, again, because it's been so long since we started Matthew chapter 6, and this on his Sermon on the Mount, he uh, starts in verse 1, and he says, Take heed that you do your alms before men. And that word alms is a different word than the uh, uh, succeeding words of alms. When we think of alms, that's giving to the poor. This first word of alms is actually the word for righteousness. Righteousness, And some of your translations maybe have that in it. Is that correct? How many of you have a translation that have that word in it? Okay. A few of you do. And that is the Greek word there. And he's actually talking about these things that we do 
uh, what we would consider right activity. Right activity. Now, understand that none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. Is that not correct? But God declares us right in our standing. That's a positional righteousness. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, He gives you a position of righteousness, justification, reconciliation. Those are all those words that are theological words, but that's what you got when you got saved. Now, how many understood that when you got saved? None. Oh, a couple did. I didn't. I just knew Jesus died. I believed it. I accepted it. I didn't know what the package deal was. But boy, the package deal was full of a lot more. In fact, I'm still discovering what's in that package deal. He refers to these things in the uh, in your position in what we call the aorist tense. The aorist tense is what I simply identify as the tense of position. Who we are in Christ. And there's an identity crisis going on today. People don't know who they are in Christ. Now, this word, righteousness, is not the positional right, righteousness, but this is the idea of practicing your righteousness, all right? So, you have to be declared righteous by accepting Christ as your Savior. Now, you are in the right position. Now, you can act out of that position. Does that make sense? And so, he's going to talk about how to act out your life in Christ, how to to go out into this world or how to have this relationship with not only God, but with others as well. And so he goes into those things which we would refer to as right activity. And almsgiving, of course, is one of those which is giving to the poor or helping others on their journey. Not always is it financially, because sometimes giving things out financially can actually hurt people, enabling them in a lifestyle that is not pleasing the Lord. So we have to be careful that we don't take things further than what God intended here. And then he goes in and he's going to talk about prayer. And then he's going to talk about fasting. And then he's going to talk about our, uh, our giving and our understanding of our relationship with our riches and things like that. And then our anxieties and all those kinds of things. So last time I uh, talked about this and we went into this. He talked about in this aspect of prayer. And he doesn't want us to be an actor in our prayer. Now, if you and I understand the, the power of prayer, we're not going to be an actor. It's very real. But yet there were those people who thought that when they stood on the corners to be seen to men, that they would show their righteousness. No, they weren't. They were just showing themselves. They were hoping possibly for a little handout if people would give them for their conduct publicly. Then there was this idea that uh, uh, not to use this vain repetition there in verse 7 and where you repeat something over and over again. And we're coming to this verse 8 and 9 
where he is going to get into the what we call the Our Father prayer. And most of you are familiar with it. Some have repeated it over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with repeating something over and over again. It helps us to memorize. And in the content of this prayer probably hinges all the things that can be in prayer. But it wasn't meant to be necessarily just repeated for repetition's sake. Some people have taken this prayer as kind of like what you maybe had to do when you were a school child. When you lied. And the teacher said, now I want you to write on the board, I will not lie. Write it a hundred times. How many ever had to do something similar to that? I believe we have a sinful church here, and I bet you more of you had to do it than that. Thank you, Mike, for being honest. I won't tell you how many things I had to do when I was in high school, or not high school, excuse me, in grammar school. Did writing on the chalkboard make you stop lying? No. And so repeating the Our Father prayer over and over again for some measure of spirituality has no value. Can I get that across? Because I remember having to count how many Our Fathers I did. So it's not bringing that out in this vain repetition. And then in verse 8 he says... Uh, be not ye therefore like them, uh, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. So not only in this repetition or in this length of prayer, some people would think, well, in the bulk of my prayer, if I, if I do these various things, if I jump up and down or if I, I cross my finger or whatever, you know, all these things that can go into uh, religiosity. He's saying that doesn't make your prayer powerful. What makes your prayer powerful? God does. He says God knows what you need before you even ask of it. Now the disciples in Luke chapter 11 verse 1, it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place when he ceased. One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us. To pray as John also taught his disciples. The disciples are interested in learning how to pray. And we're going to talk a little bit about this, but here Jesus' disciples saw him praying. I mean, he prayed one time for 40 days and 40 nights, didn't he? Remember, before actually he called his disciples, but they had seen him going off. He would go off into uh, a uh, remote place where he would leave them and he would spend time praying. They saw him pray and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why would you want to learn how to pray? You ever thought about that? Uh, we have to be careful in our own motives of what prayer is. And I'm afraid that we don't understand 
the right motives. Prayer ought to be a very important part of our lives, but understanding what prayer is, prayer ought to be like breathing. As we get into the regular practice of prayer and the, the heart of prayer, and there are four or five different Greek words that talk about prayer, and, and, and this is what should be a part of our lives. And, and sometimes it is the very difficult part of our lives. It seems like we get so busy when problems come up that we fail to, to come and to bring our petitions before the Lord. The Bible says, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. We know how important prayer is. We ought to be ready to pray. I was reading an article uh, by um, uh, 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 David Gibbs. How many know who David Gibbs uh, is? He is the uh, founder of Christian Law Association, which has been around for right at 40 years. It's an amazing uh, entity that um, uh, helps churches with legalities and constitutional issues. And there's a few of them going around today, and we're not sure how everything's going to pan out. But he sent out a letter saying, being ready uh, to pray. And and David Gibbs, uh, the founder of Christian Law Association, he was in a motel room one time, and they had a very serious uh, pending trial. And they had been praying and besauching the Lord. And so he decided to call three of his prayer warriors up. Have you ever called up a prayer warrior? Say, listen, I have a need. It's great to have a prayer warrior. And he called up some of his prayer warriors. And and he was on his third call. And as he was uh, on his phone with a little earbud in in his ear, the door, uh, uh, there was a knock on the door. He went to the door and uh, opened it up. And it was the the, the maid that was going to come in to clean his room. Well, he excused himself and turned away from her. And as he did so, he continued on his conversation with one of his prayer warriors. And he said this, I know that you're busy, but I critically need you uh, to pray for me as I go to court today. I have a real sense from the Lord that prayer is the critical thing today. Would you please pray for me? Well, unbeknownst to him, the maid had been listening to the conversation and he heard this thump behind him. And she fell down on her knees and began to pray. She thought he was saying to her to pray. And this is what this sweet gal said. Oh, Jesus, I don't know this man, but you do. He needs help in court today, and he has asked me to pray. I don't know if he's a criminal or what, Lord, but you need to help him, Jesus. And if he isn't saved, Lord Jesus, may he ask you to save him today. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, help him. Isn't that wonderful? Are you ready to pray? Now, this reminds me oftentimes of my own self. I mean, you know, we're with people and they say, man, I need you to pray for me. What stops us from praying right then? Praying right then. May God help us in 
our opportunities to pray. I, big things, small things. I was reading an article in uh, uh, our, our Bible Pathways. How many are reading through Bible Pathways? Uh, several of you are. I, I know it's, this year's been just a rich year, Pastor Nathan. And on May 3rd, I think I maybe have shared this with you before, but it's an, it's an interesting part there in Kings chapter... Uh, uh, our reading was in 6 through 8, but in chapter 6 primarily... It was uh, the story of Elisha and the, um, uh, the axe head. You all remember that story of Elisha and the axe head? And it's interesting how here, uh, as these young prophets were out there and they were building an assembly place for the prophets, uh, there in uh, this time, Ahab and Jezebel were in control. And so you can imagine God's servants didn't have a lot of provisions and things like this. And a very impoverished setting there. And one of the young prophets was chopping the wood. And as he was chopping the wood to make the timber for the building, what happened? His axe head fell off into the water. You ever have a day like that? You really want to accomplish something and the axe head falls off. We had a great work day yesterday, didn't we? I mean, it was it was wonderful. God kept the rain off, so we were able to work outside and inside. And and I was commissioned to help hang some lights. Isn't that exciting? We're hanging lights, hanging doors right now. Well, I'm telling you what, from uh, the get-go of it, it was thumbs and thumbs, all right, and everything. And you're trying to do something, and things come in your life. And I'm reminded of this story, and I hope you'll be reminded of this story, because you know that this young prophet came to Elisha, and he says, oh, the axe head had fallen off. And Elisha said, where did it fall? He showed him in the water, and, and Elisha threw in a stick. And here's this stick floating on the water, and what happened? The axe head started to swim. Swell. Can you imagine seeing that? Now, what Bible Pathways brings out to me is a fascinating truth. And this is what it says. How large does a problem need to be before it warrants a miracle? Ever think about that? I uh, have a clock at home. I love clocks. I have a clock in my office that reminds me of... uh, Brother Schubert, and I have a clock at my house, reminds me of my grandma, and I have a clock in my office at home, and it stopped working. Do you know why it stopped working? Do you, can you imagine who broke it? I did. I wound the spring too tight. And for a month, I was trying to uh, get the, the clock to work, and I'd put the pendulum, or the pendulum was on there, and I'd, you know, do that. And that's what it would do. Do that. <laughs> Tried it again. Do that. And it did that. And one morning I woke up. And Jay, where does this stuff come from? It was all of a sudden say, why don't you take the pendulum off and try to do it with a little doer up there? I thought about that. That's interesting. So I took the pendulum off. And I went in there and I did that. And it went like this. I said, oh, great. I said, well, let me try it again. 
and it started working. Is that a little thing? It's a little thing. But is that big? It's big. When you lose an axe head or you have struggle, does God care about your little things? He does. He says, at what point does God stop and take notice of our troubles? For Elisha's young student, the loss of the axe head was a catastrophe. He had borrowed it in good faith, and now it was lost in the river. He had no way to recover it or reimburse its owner for its loss. Through Elisha, God intervened. God understood the magnitude of the loss for the young man, and he recovered the axe head. Now listen to this. This minor miracle is noted... In the Bible, between the healing of Naaman in chapter 5 and the deliverance from Eli- of Elisha from the armies of the Syrian, which was an amazing miracle, uh, compared to these two events, it hardly seemed worth mentioning. But God knew that it was a moment of immense importance. God takes notice. And then, whoops, there we go. Uh, where am I on these on these verses here? There we go. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than the sparrows. Amen and amen. God takes note. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, uh, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting, what's that next word? All your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. You know, we're living in a dark world. And the devil keeps coming and whispering into your ear, saying, you're worthless, you're worth, you're, 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 there's things wrong with you and all this. But you understand there's a God who sent his son to die on the cross to rescue you from hell and to give you eternal life. He loves you. May we be reminded of this. So small things. Yes, I've had people time and time again come up and says, man, do you pray about this and pray about that? The Bible says it all things. Pray without ceasing. I love talking to my father all day long and asking him for his hands of help and guidance and ordering my steps. How about large things? Small and large, let me ask you, are there any difference of those things in the courts of heaven? No, there isn't. They're all the same to a God who created everything. But we came across, and some of you were here on Wednesday night. Remember, we talked about the... uh, the situation that is wrote. I don't know if you can see that very well, but that is the Irving property with the similarity of the subdivision that's going on. And you know, for three years, we have been uh, working at trying to get this property to be able to be sold. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, after three years of looking at all this, the fire marshal comes on uh, board there and says, guess what, folks? 
Yeah, that, that you know, you always, and, and, and Ron, you being a former fire marshal, I'm not bashing the fire marshal. Well, they have their laws, their regulations, but they discovered this in the ninth hour. We're supposed to close on this property sometime within uh, the month of June, I believe it is, and, and, and all, and, 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 and that closing of the, that value of that property, well, if it's being sold for, uh, in, the, in the term of the entire sale, somewhere around $900,000, that's a big deal. I'm not going to ask Wayne to write me a check for $900,000. I know how far that would go. (laughs) This is a big deal, folks. And so we asked you to pray about it. Remember that? We asked you to pray about it. I mean, this is is a heart stopper. We had an all-day day day of prayer. And I shared this on Wednesday night. So some of you here on Wednesday night uh, have heard this story before. And the fire marshal comes on board and he says, you need a second entrance into the subdivision. Now, if you can kind of see this, this is the this is the church right here. This is our parking lot. Isn't that nice? Don't you just kind of covet that parking lot? (laughs) We've been at this location for 35 years. We've been at Echo Hollow for 37 years. But at this location for 35 years. And by the way, there was times when we didn't have as nice a parking lot as we have now. We used to have a gravel parking lot out here for two years. You know, we get spoiled, don't we? We're just so spoiled. But anyways, we are, we are definitely uh, seeing some amazing uh, there in a 20,000 almost uh, square foot building there and, and everything. And here's this subdivision. And uh, as you see this uh, subdivision, the numbers are, are off here. This is an old map. But he says you need a second entrance. Well, here's one ex- entrance. It goes up here. It dead ends here. It goes over here. It comes around here and it comes over there. We we'll say, well, you can just put in a second entrance. Well, there's a problem. Guess what is surrounding our property? What is all that? Homes. People's yards. Most people would not want a fire truck driving across their yard. Would you agree with that? And so we began to pray. And... Uh, there were some options that came up. The best option was to use this little bike path right here. The reason why that's a good option is because it can be widened a little bit there on our side. I mean, it's not in on our side property. That has to be put in, so it's not even put in yet. But it wouldn't cause them to lose a lot, which is about $85,000. That's a significant amount of money, would you not agree? And so, with that, you've got a neighbor here, and you have a neighbor here, and you have a bike path put in. At first, one of the neighbors said no, but there's a gracious neighbor, and we don't even know who, I don't know who, which one it is. But that neighbor has said, you can use part of our property to bring in a fire truck. Amen and amen. Now, I want to show you a picture Now, can you see that picture up there very well? That is already there. That's the bike path. Guess how wide that is. It's wide enough to get a fire truck down. 
When we bought this property and with all the things, did we have any clue what was going to come down the road? I rode over there on Wednesday and I saw that. I thought, how many, you've all seen bike paths. I mean, this would be a bike path. That bike path is a road. Thank you, Lord. Do we all understand? We have a God who hears. And you know, when I looked at this, and I don't know about you, but when, when things first come up, my heart sinks. How about you? You know, there's a, a, a verse here. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually steadfast in prayer. Do we understand? This is one of my, 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 my verses here. That word rejoicing, it comes from a Greek word we, which we get our word caroling from. Isn't that interesting? Rejoicing in hope. The word hope is actually a confidence, a confident expectation. Uh, and then the next word, and, and I thought about this this morning as I was having my devotions this morning, patient. Now, you know, as I look at that, I almost thought, you know, it would have been better if he left off the word patient in tribulation. And I decided this morning to look up that Greek word patient. And there's the definition. It's marvelous when you can go to the Greek language. And it says, endure. Take it patiently. Tarry behind. Abide. You know, here's this idea of, 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 you know, stay the course. Don't run ahead of God. Don't run behind God. But allow God to use what's going on in your life to build your life. It means to remain, to tarry, to tarry there, uh, and to abide, to preserve under misfortunes and trials, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, to endure, bear bravely and calmly. Aren't we glad that we have a God? He says rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulations. Tribulations. God, folks, we have to understand that there's this two aspect of here. And, and, and sometimes I, I miss, I, I, for the, I've been quoting this verse for almost a year. And all of a sudden, Darlene, it just hit me. God wants us to be patient in tribulation. Now, they say tribulation works patience. All right? And, and all. And the thing is, God is trying to build our life the way He wants them uh, to be uh, built, to remain, um, to adhere. So praise the Lord for this, this marvelous, marvelous truth. All right? So as we uh, continue on in there and then continuing... I like that word, continuing. And that means to adhere, glue yourself steadfast in prayer. And God allows the things to come up in our lives to pray. And uh, I find that this should be the highest activity of our soul. Yet it seems like, listen to me, 
The time when we have the most urgent prayer is when we struggle with our own difficulties. Would you agree with me on that? You know, we've had some, some situations there uh, of late, and I, I know uh, many of you prayed for the Monroe baby. You know, I had opportunity, Pastor Nathan and I had opportunities to go up there on separate occasions, but to talk with them. And I believe that we understood how the hand of God helped Joe to catch his baby before he was gone. He had already turned blue and was cold from stop breathing. And Joe caught him and started patting him on the back and started breathing. They had the ambulance come, took him in, and they found out that he's only like a 17-year-old baby, a 17-year, 17 day old baby there's a difference between 17 years and 17 days not much not much (laughs) but apparently when a little one gets a cold there's a virus that can come into the lungs and it can cause the lungs to say you don't need to breathe they had five episodes in the hospital God's hands. And we started to pray and people were praying for that situation. And that's what's neat about being on the, the mailing list, the email mailing list of, of, um, of Westside Baptist Church. Some of you don't have email and, uh, or uh, that type of thing. But, you know, we're, we're, if you're not on that emailing list, we, we'd like you to be on because the urgency of prayer sometimes catches us different hours of the day. And we began to pray, and God helped that little baby to come around. When I went in the hospital, I, and you really saw how serious this was. They had him on a, a basically a, a ventilator-type thing to help him to breathe. They had a tube down his throat and all these things. A little, little child, you hate to see a little baby like that. But Joe, profuse, not profuse, I don't know what the right word is, but Joe over and over said, you know, thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank the church for praying. We had a part of praying. But is it just in the urgency or the ninth hour that we pray about things? Are we in the mode of praying always? And as we are in this mode of praying always, what, what, why? Why are we praying Now listen to me. There's something that I'd like to get across this morning that's very, very important. My time's running out. And I might start this this morning and have to finish it next Sunday. But he, uh, people oftentimes, they want to pray to get more from God or to get answers. In verse 8, he says, Be not ye therefore like them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask. God knows, but He wants us to ask. But, but is it that we want to get more from God? We want God's hands of, of help now in this difficult situation? Or is prayer in your life more important than just bartering with God and my life? And I have to come to ask myself, what is the importance of prayer? The disciples says, teach us to pray. So we can get a bigger bank account, a nicer car, or uh, get well from our situations. Or is there something more important in prayer that maybe we as a congregation have missed? What do you think? Probably is, wouldn't you agree? And he starts off this prayer... After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven. 
As I was quoting that this morning a little bit and thinking about this message, I was thinking, Our Father, which art in heaven. This is a personal, intimate relationship with God. We can come to Him, the Creator of the universe, but not so much just to get what we want to get, but to have communion and fellowship and relationship with Him. Do we understand that? We are actually coming into the throne room of heaven before a holy God, into His presence, to worship Him. Now, when I say that word, worship Him, what does that mean to you? I want you to get something this morning, and me as well. I believe that our hearts need to be in the right framework of worship as we come before Him in prayer. But I dare say that the average Christian has no idea what the word worship means. Hear me. Hear me. I I went up and I, I wanted to get pictures for my presentation. And so I Google searched pictures of worship. And uh, these are some of the uh, things that I came up. The art of worship. Can you see it up there? I put a letter A by it. All right. Just see if we can we can see something here. But uh, uh, to take a little test here at the end. And then uh, authentic worship. There's a picture. And then we come back to this. Worship. Now let me ask you. Which, oops, oops, I turned my thing off. If I were to go back, maybe, let's see, got to turn it on. Go back to A. Let's see if I can run this thing again. The art of worship. Oops. Authentic worship. Bowing at the cross? Or this picture? In most churches, what do you think their, the average person's idea of worship is? A, B, C, or D? Okay, D. That's where we've come to. I've been in a church where they had fog machines. Lights, little disco balls going on. And creating an atmosphere which they would call worship. By the way, we call this our worship service, don't we? But in reality, unless we come to the invitation or decisions, this really might not be a worship service. Because the word worship actually means, or in the Old Testament, it meant to bow down. To humble yourself. And to understand this is so very important as we get into the authentic worship or the art of worship. It comes from two words in our English here. Worth, to honor, and ship, which means to create. Literally, to create honor to God in word and action. That's why God does not want us to worship idols. Because we're not to create honor to idols. 
Trust in who He is. The bowing down in the Old Testament was resigned only to God and God only, not to angels. Angels you could not bow down to or to idols. It was to surrender to who He is. It also has the idea of to kiss the hand like a dog would his master. Do you catch there's a difference of worship than the emotional experiences that are going on today? The emotional experience, if I were to say it in in its context of worship, is to have a broken and a contrite heart. Now, there are various facets of which we have in our services of singing and praising the Lord and all those kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Amen to that. I mean, I love the music this morning. But we have lost the reality that worship is to surrender our heart, our will to him. And that's what it means to worship here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for uh, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with what? Reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The fact that you and I can come into the throne room of heaven because we've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ should not lessen who God is. May God help us with this. Uh, In Chronicles, give to the Lord the glory to His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of what? Holiness. I'm saying, folks, we need to get back to what this word means. In Eastern Orient, equals custom would be to kiss on the lips. That means, you know, I'm glad I don't live in, in the East. Or if you were kind of relatively close, you would kiss on the cheeks. But if you were coming to a supreme, you would fall down on your knees and you would kiss the ground before him. Now, the Muslims have something right about that. Would you not agree? And Christians have lost that sight of the holy God. Now, Muslims don't worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. Is that the next verse I have up there? Yeah. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So make sure who we are bowing down to is the God Jehovah of the Bible. Amen to that. So here is, is, is this, this idea of worship. I remember going into Africa, which some of the Africans have uh, some oriental customs there. Because uh, Africa, is, you, you all know that it's fairly close to Israel. It's closer to Israel than we are. Unless you're in South Africa, maybe. But uh, there, uh, and probably even South Africa, uh, is closer to Israel than we are. But I remember going up to a, a, a woman, and Donna, let me do this. And I would go to shake hands with the, the person, and she would do this. You see that? Okay, honor, stretch up. Ah, you see that? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Put it down safely. And I, and I thought to myself, why would she do that? And I asked the missionary, and she says, you know what? That's giving honor to the person you're shaking hands to. 
God wants us to give honor to Him. God wants us to give Him the glory. God wants us to give Him the praise and the thanksgiving uh, for who He is. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And that means to be obedient to Him. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You have been purchased and I have been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we're not going to be going to hell. Praise God for that. Does God have the right to tell you what to do? Do we have the right to tell him what to do? And I want, you, I want you to ponder this because so often the word worship and things comes to this emotional high or this good fuzzy feelings. But it is the idea of bowing down, surrendering your heart to say, God, I belong to you. And I want to do whatever you ask me to do. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, children, obey your parents or honor your parents. And obedience to our Lord and letting Him be the King of kings and Lord of lords is the true art of worship. Too often we've come in there and developed our own ideas of that. Yes, God, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. What does it say there, though? Fear God. Now, what that means, that word fear comes to the word Greek word phobia. Fear God. God is who he is. It says also honor the emperor. Here in Colossians chapter 3.22, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You know what? I'm afraid that we as born-again believers are losing the understanding of fearing God. That's to respect. That's to honor. Realize who He is, not to be taken lightly. Well, you say, well, isn't there a verse in the Bible that says there is no fear in love? Yes, but this verse is taken out of context. Notice what it says, but perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with what? Punishment. What First John is talking about here in this portion of scriptures is this fear of being sent to hell. When you're born again, God loves you. He's never going to send you to hell because you're his child. And whosoever fears has not been uh, perfect in love. And so uh, God loves us and he has brought us into his kingdom. You can read this context uh, and I would encourage you to do so. And so here we understand what is worship. We are coming into the very presence of the Lord. Job says, I'm a vile person. And, 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 and understand uh, that there's, there's people in the Bible that showed this. If you were to go into Daniel chapter uh, 9 and uh, read there, there's a whole bunch of verses there. But let me just read real quickly because our time is gone. Daniel, being a man of prayer, known of prayer. In fact, he was even accused in his prayers amongst the other. Uh, uh, dictate or uh, potentates of those people of that time. He says in verse 3, he says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloths and ashes. He is preparing his heart and coming before a holy God. Can I say that our act of prayer, it ought to be understanding that we are coming into the presence of God. 
He says, I pray unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquities and have done wickedly and have rebelled and by departing from Thy precepts, and uh, from thy judges, never, never have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, and spake in thy name of our king, uh, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of Israel. O Lord, righteousness belongs to thee. Daniel understood the holiness of God. Oh, I encourage you to read as it goes through verse 19. Prayer is speaking to God, forgetting uh, the necessarily all the things that are in this world and rushing into prayer so that we can get the business done with and get us. No prayer is coming before a holy God and surrendering to Him. May God help us with this. May I close with this? Our country is in a mess. Would you not agree? Would you remember this verse? Uh, Brother Doug... Griswold showed me this verse, Isaiah 59, 14 through 15. Our courts oppose the righteous. Yes or no? By the way, this is before the fall or during the fall of Israel, the fall of Judah. It is Isaiah is giving the, the conclusion of these matters of why, what's going on in the land. The justice uh, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looks and was displeased to find that there was no justice. Isaiah 59. But I want to tell you. The problem isn't in Washington. It's in our churches. We've got to come back to understand we have a holy God. And He's not about us playing games. He's about us getting down and worshiping Him. Lord, what do you want me to do? Father, I pray that as we've had uh, so much more to say, but yet our time's gone. Lord, help us to get this understanding of worship, true worship. Oh, Father, please, as we come into now prayer, and as we think about this aspect of prayer, Lord, help us to understand that if, if we don't get anything else this morning, that we'd understand that when we come to prayer, we're coming to your very presence, into the throne room. Help us to prepare our hearts. Things that are going on in our lives as we enter into your presence. You know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We've almost painted a benevolent father in heaven picture up there of some granddaddy that's just going to rock us in the cradle. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know about you, but there's times that God speaks to my heart in such ways Help me to understand that I need to have more of an act of worship than what I'm engaged in. And I want to encourage you, and we'll talk more next week about this, but to fall on our knees 
and ask him, what does he want to do? The average Christian goes through the day with making most of the decisions without the hands of God. Lord, order our steps. Help us not to be a rebellious people. Help us to be honest with you. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Yes, he's a wonderful father. Yes, I got up this morning. I said, Daddy, I need you. In his presence, there is peace. If you're not saved this morning, you need to get saved. If there's things that you're fighting with and you're fighting with the Holy Father, then you need to get that right. Just say, God, I want to surrender to whatever you have. We're going to sing in his presence as we can close. Father, I pray that you'll work now in this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.